Speaking of is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for supporting Milwaukee PBS. Brookfield's mayor is facing criticism over a Black History Month proclamation, which some are criticizing. A first-of-its-kind Black History Month proclamation in the city of Brookfield is receiving... The mayor's version removed any references to systemic racism and slavery in America, as well as... It says that in Brookfield, which, according to the 2020 census, is 84% white... These kinds of things definitely do matter because I think people, especially younger people, see these things and they're like, wow, like they're making a change. You're listening to Speaking Of, a podcast by Milwaukee PBS. I'm Scotty Lee Myers, your co-host, and today we are concluding our story about a Black History Month resolution written mostly by a group of black and brown high school students that proved to be too controversial for the city of Brookfield, the predominantly white suburb of Milwaukee. And we're unpacking the story to better understand the resistance from white communities from being more diverse and inclusive spaces. We've arrived at the third and final chapter of this story. So if you haven't listened to the previous installments, you should probably go back and do that now. That would be episodes four and five. I definitely recommend doing that, even though we are going to do a quick recap right now. In the studio with me are my fellow podcast co-hosts, Mariano Avila and Alexandria Mack. And we've gathered again for another roundtable as we go through the last chapters of this Black History Month saga. Okay, let's bring everyone up to speed. So we got a group of diverse high school students. They were recruited by Alderman Mike Halquist to write a Black History Month resolution. That resolution, it mentions slavery, it mentions Jim Crow policies, housing discrimination, among other things. On a February night in 2021, it goes before a committee meeting for approval where, surprise, the mayor shows up and he submits his alternative version that strips out all that quote-unquote negative language about America's history. The committee agrees to approve the mayor's version because some members didn't like the tone of the student resolution, especially the fifth paragraph. What was so important about the fifth paragraph? Okay, paragraph five of the original resolution reads... Whereas Wisconsin is one of the worst states in the country for racial equality. Whereas Wisconsin is one, one of, of the, the worst states, states in the, the country for racial, for equality, racial equality. And it's considered to be the one of the most segregated, one of the most segregated states in, in America. America. We, acknowledge we acknowledge the damage caused by the historical use of redlining, redlining restricted access to FHA loans, cultural barriers, and other financial or governmental regulations by suburban municipalities, which results in the underrepresentation, the underrepresentation of black families in these, in these communities. communities. So that's the fifth paragraph. And before moving on, I should say that paragraph five is absolutely true. Milwaukee is making a top 10 list for the wrong reasons. A new study from the financial news website 24-7 Wall Street says Milwaukee is the worst city in America for black Americans. New research on black-white disparities in metropolitan Milwaukee draws a sobering conclusion about education. Black children here are the most hyper-segregated in the country. Wisconsin is the worst state in the country when it comes to certain disparities between white and minority children. A recent report named Wisconsin as the worst state for the welfare of black children. 
There are many research studies out there all by serious policy organizations that come to this conclusion time and time again, evaluating for a wide variety of metrics, things like segregation, income and educational gaps, incarceration rates, home ownership. Milwaukee and or Wisconsin in aggregate is perennially one of, if not the worst cities or states in America for black people. Okay, let's get back on track and speed through the rest of this recap. Yeah, good call. So then what happens? Then the mayor's resolution prevails, and it goes to the larger Common Council meeting for approval. So that's where we are now, the big Common Council meeting. Now we're up to speed. This is sort of where we left off last time. So it's getting late in the meeting, and the mayor calls for debate on item 28. The next item is item 28. The Black History Month resolution. And we get a short report from what just happened in the committee meeting and how the mayor's version was unanimously approved. And then the mayor invites council members at large to discuss the resolution. So now we're getting into it. We're, we're going to have like a real debate here. And the first council member to weigh in is Alderman Rick Owen. Go ahead, Alderman Owen. And he offers this kind of slippery slope stick to sports argument. He also says that a Black History Month proclamation like this is quote unquote partisan, that it only divides us and that it's not much more than just virtue signaling. Could you tease out that slippery slope argument a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So Owens, he's like, Black History Month? What's next? Like, shouldn't we be focusing on Military Appreciation Month or Police Appreciation Week? Like, aren't those worthy to celebrate? Military Appreciation Month, National Police Week, Jewish American Heritage Month, Native American Heritage Month, Hispanic Heritage Month. I think you might get where I'm going with this. And then Owens says this. I was going to note that it's one thing to recognize the resolution or produce resolutions as we do that I think are a little more innocuous, uh, where we we talk about city employees, uh, we celebrate their years of service. We don't, I just think it's a whole nother thing to go pick and choose observances that we think we should be championing. In my opinion, we have never engaged in this sort of partisanship in Brookfield. So that was the slippery slope argument. You also mentioned a stick to sports argument. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's the idea that an athlete is just an athlete, that it's not their business to weigh in on any public debate. So when LeBron James was told to just, quote unquote, shut up and dribble. So Owens here, he argues that the council members should stick to city services. So basically, in keeping with the metaphor, he's like, shut up and plow the roads. The things of doing business in Brookfield are things like making sure that we deliver clean water to our residents, that the streets get plowed. And it's never improved by infusing party politics. It doesn't make our delivery of services any better. So, uh, it, you know, our goal should be, and I think for the most part, have always been to solve problems that benefit every Brookfield resident, regardless of race, ethnicity, or faith. I mean, do we really want to be jumping on what I'll call the great divide that is today's national political landscape? And it's got no tangible benefit for the residents of the city of Brookfield. I asked Hulquist what he was thinking when he heard what Owen had to say. I thought it was an absurd statement. I thought it belonged back in 1950, along with all the other terrible policies that were mentioned in the resolution. I think Alderman Owen's comments are timeless for all the wrong reasons. So Halquist wasn't the only one who thought Owen's comments were problematic. None of the students found his comments compelling either. I felt that some of it was a little bit ridiculous. Some of it was just an argument that was clearly meant to ridicule or divide. 
a lot of the causes he had brought up that you were mentioning, I like do it. <laughs> okay, so moving on, Alderman Owen wraps up his comments and the mayor opens up the floor again for further discussion. Halquist takes a turn expressing his disappointment. Another alderman speaks up and she says she would have voted with the original resolution written by the students. And then the next person to add to the discussion is Alderman Gary Maycorn. He's the chair of the Legislative and Licensing Committee. So as soon as Maycorn speaks, it's pretty clear that he believes that shots have been fired. Shots have been fired? What was said? Yeah, so he kind of believes that Halquist fired shots earlier in the meeting during that public comment period. And remind me again? Okay, so remember when Halquist said this? The idea that this community is past racism is, quite frankly, complete and utter nonsense. I know many folks here actively campaign as they should for office. Let me tell you what that manifestation looks like door to door. It's people who say, well, you know, crime increased when we added the bus stops. It's people who say, I'm campaigning tough on crime because I got to keep the Milwaukee crowd out of Brookfield. It's people who essentially dog whistle with their policies and actions when they campaign. So it's pretty clear that Maycorn took offense to that. I did want to address Alderman Hallquist a little bit. Alderman Hallquist, I respect you. You were all well-educated here. We're all collegiate. But when you took the podium tonight, I've campaigned a number of times and have done a lot of doors. And never once has somebody made these references of, if we don't keep certain people out, our crime rate will go up. Or the bus stops turned dog whistle. And again, I would be honest with you because I'd be shocked. So, Scotty, you were born and raised in Brookfield. Yep. Over the years, you've been a reporter for a Brookfield newspaper. Yep. Maycorn says he's never directly heard any kind of dog whistling or racism out in the community. Can you fact check that for us in your own experience? And maybe not fact check, but at least tell us your perspective having grown up there. Um, but this is... <laughs> I'm grappling with this a little bit because this is a this is a really important and, and complicated question. As journalists, it is incumbent upon us and to me to sort of build a case because what I'm sort of alleging is is serious here. I do believe that there are some dots that need to be connecting, a, a string of incidents, some, some high-profile incidents, in fact, that have happened in Brookfield over the years. This goes to the core of the story. And I think, first off, what we need to address is sort of how we got here. And someone I always turn to when figuring this stuff out is Reggie Jackson. He's the head Rio of America's Black Holocaust Museum, which just reopened February 25th. Jackson says it's clear from studying the history of suburbs, whether here in, in Brookfield or just elsewhere in Milwaukee or throughout the country, that these were designed to be all white spaces and still remain mostly white to this day. And this is not an accident because white people exclusively had the assistance of local, state, and federal government agencies. They had the assistance from the real estate industry, from urban planners and bankers and lenders and courts. That all led to segregated spaces. And then you, on top of that, you have these zoning ordinances and racial covenants, which explicitly restricted neighborhoods to just white occupants. I tell people the best way to see segregation in Milwaukee is to get in a car, drive down to the lakefront, get on North Avenue and drive all the way out to Brookfield. Just a straight shot. Every time someone comes in from out of town and wants to learn about segregation, I take them on that trip down North Avenue. And it's very clear to see. But what makes Milwaukee stand out, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo, they're segregated. But what's different, our suburbs don't look anything like their suburbs. This is a percentage of black people who live in that county 
who live outside that central city. So only seven and a half percent of black people who live in Milwaukee County live outside of the city of Milwaukee. There's literally 18 other cities they could live in, but a very small percentage of them live there for obvious reasons. Redlining policies, racial restrictive covenants from many, many years ago that have been null and void and unconstitutional for over 50 years. However, there are still policies and practices in place that make it not a welcoming environment for black people. So that clip comes from a presentation Jackson did for an event hosted by 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. By the way, Radio Milwaukee, they produce this great podcast called By Every Measure, which explores the data behind systemic racism in Milwaukee. So shout out to them. Any reactions from anyone? I think something that this reminded me of is there have been like recent articles about this kind of reverse great migration where we're seeing so many, particularly young black people, but just like black families that are moving back down to the South because of the lack of opportunity in places like Milwaukee or other cities that are more up north. And I think about friends or family of mine that are not from Milwaukee. My husband is from Los Angeles. But things that stand out to them is like there is no minority majority suburb here all the suburbs in milwaukee are predominantly white but when you go to other states you know maybe on the east coast places like dc or the carolinas texas there are suburbs that are made up of people of color and i think that's why we're seeing that shift of young professionals professionals of color at that moving out trying to have roots in different places I feel like when you're a black kid in Milwaukee, the goal is always to leave. And I think that's hard on a lot of young black kids' minds here because you don't. You're constantly being at the top of this piece, you know, of just like the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. You live in the worst place. This is the worst place to be black. This is the worst place to raise a family. Worst place for opportunity. You're just like, okay, so there's no possibility of me succeeding. Wow. Seriously, Lexi, that is deep and honestly a little tough to hear. Let's now pivot away from these historical causes and move forward on the timeline. I've actually put together a montage of news stories that have happened in Brookfield more recently. And fair warning, I have edited these, so let's just acknowledge that. And let's also acknowledge that each story is complex with nuance and alternate viewpoints. But I do think it's important to kind of get a sense of the Brookfield milieu and what might contribute to making a black or brown resident in Brookfield feel uncomfortable or even unwelcomed. Curious residents turned out to learn more about a proposed mosque in Brookfield. I would have to say the Muslim faith does, you know, shed some concern on my part. It's just going to bring in all the closet Islamic extremists. Here tonight, there were a few people who told me that they were scared of a mosque coming to Brookfield. So scared, in fact, they said they didn't even want to talk on camera. You are a leader in the Islamic community, are you not? I believe you're on the board. Okay, well listen, my kids are, children, are Christians. They are not subject to wearing face coverings. A local woman denied a job because of her name. An email from her potential employer called that name Ghetto. And she's not the only one to get that response. Ricky Mitchell outside Mentality in Brookfield with how the company's responding. Greetings, Mark Hansen, Superintendent Elmbrook Schools. Yesterday, a troubling video was shared on social media of a racist act against one of our students at Brookfield East. An Elmbrook School Board meeting tonight 
dozens turning out to voice their opposition to the district's equity plan. What appeared to be a noose was found hanging in a tree in a Brookfield neighborhood. Outrage flooded social media Tuesday evening as witnesses recorded the arrest of a 13-year-old accused of stealing from a store near 124th and Capitol. Some found the amount of Brookfield police officers excessive given the teen's age and alleged crime. Two African-American pastors say they were racially profiled after their car broke down on the side of the road. Now they are suing a Waukesha County Sheriff's deputy. Today a man walks in and literally buys every case of ammo that we have on the shelf. So while I'm checking him out, he goes, I'm going to kill all communists. And I just didn't say because people make dark jokes about communism all the time. But obviously that's not funny. So then he goes, and I'm going to shoot all Black Lives Matter. Not that you're a bad person or anything. And obviously I got heated at that point. So I said, if you say so. And then I realized I needed to shut the up because he was threatening to kill people and this isn't a moment for me to be Micah so I shut the up and then he was like no I'm serious I have thousands of rounds of ammo at my house 130 guns you need to warn your people so this is a recent snapshot of incidents that have happened in Brookfield you know I would love to sit here and break down each of these stories but we got a lot more to get through here so let's jump back to the story back to the council meeting so we just heard from Maycorn Let's hear the other really important thing he said. And I thought I had an interesting perspective, having lived in Wauwatosa, then having grown up on the northwest side of Milwaukee, working in Milwaukee County Circuit Court System, being in the inner city, falling in love with the folks in the inner city because they're so, they're just, there's all this goodness in them just like there is out here. I think all of these guys are well-intentioned, and that's what I personally grapple with the most. Like, how do we sort out the fact that they mean well? Are, are good intentions enough? I kind of pose that question to Hallquist. I think that room was filled with people who don't quite get it. It's hard for even to figure out which part to address. Is it the tokenization? Is it that, you know, he views people as fundamentally different based on where they live? I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Just like Alderman Owen, I had a big problem with those statements. I, I don't think they understand it. And that doesn't mean that they won't understand it or that they can't. But it was it was frustrating. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we pivot to my favorite part of this story, just because I don't feel like anyone sees this coming. And it comes thanks to some pretty quick thinking from Alderman Brad Bloomer. Quick crash course. Bloomer is on that legislative and licensing committee. And he was the one who unsuccessfully tried to get his fellow committee members to pass the students version. Let's listen to him. Yes, Alderman Bloomer. Last month, we did adopt an International Migratory Bird Day without any discussion whatsoever. There's aspects of the, you could say, the tone in that resolution that are on the negative side. I didn't question any of the facts in the International Migratory Bird Day proclamation. I'll put it that way. I, I took it as a matter of fact, and that's kind of how I felt about this. I read it as a statement of historical facts. What's he talking about here? So just a month earlier, the Brookfield Common Council passed a resolution for International Migratory Bird Day. And guess what? There was no objection to that resolution. And I think it's really worth hearing this again. I mean, listen to these passages of the International Migratory Bird Day resolution. It says, whereas migratory birds and their habitats are declining throughout the Americas, facing a number of threats on their migration routes and in both their summer and winter homes. And whereas public awareness and concern are crucial components of migratory bird conservation. 
And whereas citizens enthusiastic about birds, informed about the threats they face and empowered to help and address those threats, can directly contribute to maintaining healthy bird populations. I mean, you could argue that migratory birds in Brookfield get more respect from the Common Council than, than Black people are here. I mean, I'm kidding, but also maybe I'm not kidding. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. What was the reaction when he mic dropped about the migratory conservation bird day or whatever? Like, what were people's reaction to that? No one addressed it. No one talked about it. They just moved on. They basically went on to the vote. Seeing none, we'll have a roll call vote. And this is on the proclamation as recommended by the legislative and licensing. Which is the proclamation I submitted. Alderman Christensen. Yeah. Alderman Owen. Nay. So it passed? Yep. Brookfield officially recognized Black History Month in February 2021 with the mayor's proclamation. How did the votes break down? So it was 12-2. So those two no votes, one came from Alderman Owen, the sort of stick to sports guy, and the other no vote came from Halquist. I am not the type who says, well, at least we got something. And then, of course, it was it was watered down as a whitewashed version. Something is not always better than nothing. And that was why I I voted against that. This was such an intense debate and there was so much information and so many twists and turns. I'm wondering that with this vote, has there been any lingering resentment that Hallquist has as far as feelings towards his fellow council members? Yeah, I was really curious about that, too. You can be very wrong on this issue and very right on something else. I have no doubt that my colleagues do their best in what they think is best for the city. Maybe they think I'm a jerk or something, but I doubt it. Honestly, they're professional. I doubt that they'll hold it against me. Yeah, you might be surprised to hear that Halquist was left feeling really optimistic about the direction Brookfield is heading in. Uh, well, like, where's the optimism coming from? Is it, <laughs> is it within the council or? Uh, well, let's let's let him speak for himself here. I'm very positive about what will happen in the future on this in part because of the fact I got so very little negative correspondence from Brookfield residents on this. It was all overwhelmingly powerful. And honestly, some of it was uh, people sent me some deeply personal stories that were quite moving. And I I get kind of choked up thinking about it. I think it's less about the resolution and more about the younger generation using their voice to lead this community forward. So even though it's just a resolution, I would tell everyone to kind of listen to these student words, listen to what they have to say. Okay, I think that's really good advice from Halquist there. Let's hear what Cynthia thinks about the resolution and whether it matters in the greater scheme of things. I think this resolution and what happened in the city hall is just reflective of the fact, reflective of our nation, that a lot of times we want to do the good work, we say we want to do the good work, and then it comes down to it, and it doesn't happen. And then one last thing is just is a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. that I think relevant, which goes something like peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the existence of justice for all people. And I think in our resolution, the elder people had viewed peace as using a nice tone and being comfortable and being gentle or something along those lines when that's not peace, that's not being positive. If we wanted peace, we need to create justice through acknowledging past mistakes and past wrongs in our history. And by not doing that, the resolution was like a just violent, almost act in of itself. So this whole story unfolded last year. Has there been a Black History Month resolution for 2022? What's going on? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Lexi. 
I was asked by a number of residents whether or not I would introduce a resolution this year, but ultimately I decided not to because it would have likely suffered the same fate. And honestly, it just would have been a reminder of the progress yet to be made by kind of the elected leaders of Brookfield. I personally always struggle with how to best advocate within my community to make progress here and whether or not the outcome of my actions will help move us forward or just serve as a painful reminder to members of our community how far we have to go. The real reason I'm positive about where we're heading is because the alternative viewpoint would be to essentially accept that people and communities can't change and grow over time. And I know you have a similar background, so having grown up in Waukesha County, I just don't believe that attitudes can't change and that we can't be more empathetic and an equity-driven community. So that's it. That completes our trilogy of the Battle of Black History in Brookfield. Quick addendum, Palquist recently told me that he'll be endorsing incumbent Steve Ponto in the upcoming mayoral race. Anyways, that does it for my run of stories. Next week, Mariano Avila, our fellow producer here on the Speaking of Podcast, who you've been hearing from throughout this series, he'll explore the idea of home for the next three episodes. Mariano, as you may recall, he just moved to Milwaukee, and he wants to know what this idea means to different folks who call this city home. So uh, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, I'm Scotty Lee Myers. I'm Alexandria Mack. And I'm Mariano Avila. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time.